welcome everyone here who's on this meditation retreat. And so today I'm here to give a few words, a few stories, a few Dhamma teachings uh, for your practice. Uh, I've been in Thailand for more than a month already originally coming for the meeting in Ubon, Ratchatani, the Nongpapong meeting, uh, went to Singapore, Indonesia with Liam and the group, helped translate a little bit, and came back here. And originally I was going to go back yesterday, but when I knew there was this ordination, or a very special ordination, where Lumpur Anand will be ordaining his first batch uh, of, you could say, candidates uh, to, to go forth to or to be fully ordained bhikkhus, monastics, on the 22nd on Saturday. So I extended my trip to stay for that because I think it's a very important occasion in, in this monastery and maybe even the Buddha Sasana. Although Venerable Ajahn Anand, well, Mpoh Anand's been a teacher for many, many years. Uh, the feeling now at the monastery is that uh, there's definitely a lot of Westerners here who have come new. Uh, when I was here 17 years ago, maybe similar feeling. A few from America, Australia, Israel, uh, and here now there's, I think, ordaining on Saturday. There's, what is that, two or three Americans? South African and Indian, German, Malaysian, so from many countries coming. Uh, so this is something quite important. And when I was in uh, Indonesia with uh, Lumpur Liam there, there was one really big event where uh, they invited us for the dana. So we had a huge arms round, more than a thousand people giving uh, took a long time. Then the Dhamma talk Boliam gave, and for this whole event, there was this group of monks, uh, maybe from another island in Indonesia, who had come to join, but also to pay respects to Lumpoliam. And so we did the whole ceremony in the morning, a few hours, and then had the meal, finished the meal, and then this um, Indonesian monk had waited for Liam to finish eating and came to him with a very, you could say, important question of his. So he said and asked, uh, Lumpur, can you please give me a, uh, a special meditation object just for me, for my practice, so I can develop? And Liam just sort of didn't even look at the monk, to be honest, and said, uh, your preceptor, your upajaya, already gave you your kamatana. And that was all he said. And by that he meant that when the, the Upajaya has a duty, that they have to give the new candidates the kamatanas, the meditation objects of Kesa, Loma, Naka, Tanta, Tacho, uh, forward and reverse, which means head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin. Uh, and so my understanding of that short teaching or statement was that uh, what your upajaya gave you already was good enough, go learn that first. Uh, and so 
those going forth have to learn these uh, objects of the body very clearly. <coughs> the reason why it's done forward and backwards is so that they'll remember it, take it to heart, contemplate it clearly, and in doing so then they'll be able to uh, live uh, with ease in this brahmacharya life, the celibate, the holy life. Uh, and so it comes back then to how important it is, this role of a teacher, the upajaya, the preceptor. Uh, and it's not just in, you could say, in this giving this ceremony, but uh, the giving, uh, going forth ceremony, but also um, it's uh, monks will go on independence on that preceptor or teacher and in those years we meant to develop our spiritual faculties enough so that we can be off dependence or uh, we're, how to say, stable, solid, firm enough that we can be uh, even on our own or, or without reliance on a teacher. But these days, to be honest, it maybe takes more than five years, so it may go on for a lot longer or uh, maybe even the rest of one's life, which is good. I mean, they... Uh, can keep developing then their spiritual qualities. So I think the, uh, a monk gave a bit of a teaching on the spiritual faculties a few days earlier, the bala, the spiritual powers. So we know them as faith, uh, effort, mindfulness, sati, which is, uh, sorry, uh, samadhi, concentration, and banya, wisdom, the chief of them all. Uh, so these Maybe I'll just share a few experiences, or at least uh, some of these candidates that are ordaining have quite interesting stories as well that how they ended up here, coming from the other side of the world, but ending up here ordaining and getting faith in Venerable Ajahnan Nan. I think I probably can share them because they're not here at the moment. <laughs> uh, there's one that uh, an American novice who he uh, studied traditional medicine and he was working in Taiwan, he said, for 20 years doing acupuncture and uh, traditional medicines like that. It's quite amazing. But the amazing part of his story is that uh, he said he was at that time that he was interested in uh, vipassana meditation uh, maybe more the Burmese tradition, I'm not sure. But obviously he'd been looking it up online, these uh, talks and teachings. And so he said this one talk kept coming up and it was called uh, the X-ray of Vipassana. And maybe they tried to put flashy titles on it, I'm not sure, but he thought, what's this uh, talk about? So he just ignored it, but he kept coming back up in his, I don't know what you call it, playlist or something. Uh, and so he thought to himself that, oh, if I just look at it for 30 seconds, then it'll go away forever. And so he watched it or listened to it, and he said he finished the whole thing, listened to the whole talk. And after that, he said his uh, mind felt very peaceful for the whole day. And if I got the sequence right, that after that he had the energy to maybe fulfill one of his aspirations he had earlier, maybe many years ago, to give everything up 
renounce and uh, to go all the way to Wat Mapjan. And from here then, I think they quickly found his aspiration and ordained him as an Anagarika. And so now he's a novice. That's uh, one of them that will be ordaining on Saturday. It's quite inspiring. There's a, another American who he said that he'd been doing many of these Goenka retreats. So having quite young, I think less than, 20, uh, less than 30 years old, maybe 25. And so been doing these retreats, but he uh, read the teachings of Ajahn Chah and just knew that this was it, this was what he was looking for, and met another American monk who had ordained here in, in Wat Mapchan, uh, somewhere, I'm not sure, but then understanding that oh, Venerable Ajahn Anand is his teacher, so he's decided then to come all the way here with the intention to ordain. So he's another, another one. Uh, I think there's a third one. Oh, there's one from, from India. He's one that he's quite inspiring as well, that he went to a Buddhist school ever since he was four years old. I think some of the people here might know the school that he went to. Uh, so from four to 18 or something, he said. But even, I think his uh, families in that area was just very one of the few that actually uh, practiced Theravada Buddhism. They said it was mostly Tibet or Vajrayana. Uh, so he uh, got inspiration. He was a bit of a teacher as well. Um, even studied in, in Thailand for a while, Buddhism. <clears throat> but if I got the story right, it was like he liked the freedom of being able to travel wherever he wanted to on his motorbike. But <coughs> But eventually, maybe realizing that wherever you go around the world, you still got to come back right here to solve the problem in the heart. Uh, that's my uh, uh, meaning I got out of it. So anyway, so he came here as well, got in faith. But he said that he heard from one teacher that he respected on a retreat about Venerable Ajahn Anand and then had then the idea to come here and his family had helped to organize him to come here and so he'll also be ordaining on Saturday. So this is just a few examples, give you a bit of inspiration, uh, but this is also the teacher giving this spiritual faculty of, of faith in the people, uh, in the, uh, those, those who are looking for a path, looking for something and one simile that I like, that I think is quite relevant here, that the Buddha gave of uh, these four, say, thoroughbred horses, you could say, or prize horses, or uh, you know, very good horses. He said there's four types. The one that uh, they just see the, uh, the trainer, just the shadow of their stick, and they'll think, what do I have to do? And they can run. Uh, or the other one that just gets touched lightly by this stick and then they know what they have to do and they can, they can run. The third type is the one that uh, has to get hit on the hide and then they can run. And the fourth is the one that they have to get hit right to the bone. Then they know, oh, what do I have to do? And they can run. 
And this, the Buddha compared to the four thoroughbred or great people. Uh, and these are the ones that compared the one that just sees the shadow of the stick, like the one who sees, or sorry, the one that hears someone has uh, got sick or died, it may be in another town, village, just heard it, and he then is stirred and resolute and looking for the path of uh, Dhamma. He's looking for the way out, then he, uh, you could say, runs and then finds the right way. The second, the one who has to get touched, that's the one who has to see it for himself or themselves, uh, someone sick, someone dying. The third is the one that uh, must get hit on the hide, that's the one where they have to experience a loved one, blood relative, it says, the one who gets sick and dies. Uh, and then they're stirred, resolute, to find the Dhamma, to find the path. And the last one, the one who has to get hit right to the bone, said that one's like the one who has to experience it themselves. So when they experience it themselves, then they have pain, they have the sickness, suffering, and then, but then they know what to do, and then they seek their way out, they're resolute, they're stirred. Uh, and so, in my feeling is that, uh, and I think this applies to probably many of you as well, being able to see suffering on some level and then understanding that the, the uh, overcoming, the liberation from that suffering isn't to be found outside or in having everything perfect, but really in inside, in the path, and the practice, and that's probably why you're, you're here. Uh, so my feeling was that uh, these individuals, maybe that's something similar to what they saw in their lives, and so they, how do you say, were touched lightly by that stick and ran all the way to what Mahapjan here to ordain. And so, uh, so you could say as well, then that's, uh, Maybe the teacher even calling them here. That's time to to get to the practice, to 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 find your way out. Uh, so the second uh, factor of effort. This is what like you're doing here, putting effort into the practice, into your meditation, developing the mind. Maybe for some of you, you just heard there was this retreat run by. And maybe it's not even your first retreat and then you have the effort in order to give up your time and come and practice. Uh, some of you may be the whole, whole retreat, some of you may be for whichever parts you can join. <clears throat> so that's like an effort that comes as well from the kindness of the teacher. He set up all this big system here in front <laughs> of me and so we can access everywhere around the world to, to you all, which I think last time I shared that it's been going on for nine years and many uh, sacrifices been made that people have allowed this to happen and now with the metta, the loving kindness, goodwill of the teacher then can do this in a more regular basis. But again, it does require a lot of sacrifice from monks, lay people and for you, your time as well.
so, <laughs> so here in the monastery, I guess when I was a, a more junior monk here, then it'd be kind of like the teacher, Gampo Nan, he'd give advice on how to practice. And uh, if we were sharp or we would, we would quickly put that into practice. Uh, and he said himself, of, oh, if, if Ajahn Chah said uh, something, then he would do it straight away. You could say that's someone who's quick uh, to pick up the instructions given by the teacher, the trainer. Uh, and so there was once when uh, here, Ajahn Lumpur Anani said to put up your umbrella mosquito nets somewhere in the monastery. Don't just stay in your kuti, your hut, uh, when it's not the rainy season. And so being just a junior monk, then we had, I had a few monk friends and we put our umbrella nets up uh, close to the dying shed or the robe washing shed. But back then it was quite secluded. You wouldn't see any kutis around or anything like that. And so we put it up there at night and then just sort of practicing sitting meditation there. And I remember then there was these, all these um, bats flying around. And I'm like, what's, you know, what's going on? I hadn't, not long coming from Sydney and I think never seeing a bat before. And uh, this was just, uh, how to say, a lot of fear came up. And, but uh, with that, it sort of helped a lot with the meditation, being able to stay with the meditation object. And then straight away, the mindfulness changed to a meditation on death. You can die at any time. And I remember when the mind getting peaceful, then uh, the fear would go away and you could just walk uh, meditation outside at night just with the candles and it'd be uh, quite peaceful. So the teacher would give instructions of how to put forth effort and so he had a lot of kindness to to do that. There was one other senior monk who he shared a story to me but I think I can share it to you. Um, he said that uh, there was once uh, maybe a week before Lumpur Nun's birthday, there had been someone else, who'd, uh, uh, a Westerner, who decided that <clears throat> uh, they wanted to, just for a short period of time, offer a practice of Nesachik to, to Lumpur Nun. And that means that uh, they're going to stay up practicing all night. So no uh, lying down, no back touching the ground for the whole night. That's kind of how they do it in the Ajahn Chah tradition. And so he determined to, to do this. They'd only could rest in the day a bit, uh, but at night again, having to practice all night through the night. In the morning, obviously doing the morning chanting, arms round, etc. Uh, so uh, he, he, he did that. And then uh, Lumpur Anand called in this other monk who's quite a bit more senior to me and told him, uh, you go and do this Nesachik practice. Uh, and that monk told me that uh, he didn't actually give me a, a time span of how long I'd be doing this for. So he said, oh, I felt like as if uh, he'd, he'd sent me to uh, the cave with a the tiger there. And I don't know, maybe you 
you might, you might have read the story of Venerable Ajahn Man, Olumpung Man, who sent one of his disciples, uh, whose samadhi was probably quite good as well, but to go practice right where they knew there was a very fierce tiger and to practice, put up his umbrella net in front of that uh, cave. And so uh, he, he, uh, he said he was struggling with it a bit, but then decided, okay, I'm going to, to do it, to follow my teacher's instructions and do it. And so later I asked him, so how long did you end up doing it for? He said, for two years. <laughs> two years he had practiced staying up all night. And, uh, you know, he said, I said, whoa, two years, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's impressive. And then he said, oh, two years, not, it's not that difficult. It's just one day, you do one day, and then you do two days. You do two days, and then you do three days, and so on. And maybe in that way, it's a bit of a teaching as well for us when you want to accomplish big things, that uh, it just takes small steps that you do consistently, day by day, step by step, uh, moment by moment, maybe in your meditation as well, whether, you know, maybe... You might hear of these uh, teachers telling you, sit long, many hours, I can sit this many hours at one go. Or there's a story of the monk putting, Ajahn Chah will say, putting the incense stick, and then I won't get up, I won't move until this incense stick uh, goes out, or the candle goes out. And then the mind starts to, to fight back. Uh, but, you know, maybe if we do things just in small, uh, steps, small bits that we succeed in uh, every day, then we'll eventually attain or achieve something very big and it'll be very natural as well. <coughs> so that's a, a, a teaching from, from him. So Venerable Olumpoa Nanida very ma many ways to help us sort of bring up effort and for you I'm sure there's you know these retreats or uh, maybe in his Dhamma talks, giving you different methods, ways to put, put in effort, and you can follow it according to your uh, strength and ability. So also, the teacher then would give us uh, mindfulness. Mindfulness, obviously, we know, very important quality. We were trying to develop this mindfulness. Uh, there's a Another sutta that I quite like is this one where the Buddha compares it to an ox that loves crops. Uh, and so you can say your crops are fully grown or fully uh, ripe or harvest, uh, riped. And he said the caretaker can't be negligent because if the ox that loves crops comes in, it will just have its fill and just eat everything up. <clears throat> and so what is the caretaker then to do? Buddha says then he, the, the caretaker has to grab this ox and then uh, give it a big thrash, give it a big thrashing, uh, and then uh, send it off on its way. And then he said, for the second time, this ox that loves crops might come back again. And so the caretaker will again grab it by the, the, 
whatever it is, muzzle or something, and, and then give it another thrashing and then send it off again. He said, but the third time they might come back again. And so again, the caretaker grabs it, gives it a big thrashing and sends it off. <clears throat> uh, and then after that, then this ox will remember, oh, wherever it is, it will remember the thrashing it got and won't dare to come back to eat those crops. And the crops here are a, a, a simile or a sim, symbolic of uh, like our sense contact. So in this talks, you're going to hear a lot about liking and disliking or staying away from liking and disliking. You're going to hear a lot about sense contact, eye sees forms, ear hears sounds, nose uh, smells odors, body con uh, has, uh, what is it? sense impressions or, or touch and so that's when uh, we get lost in all that whether in liking or disliking or we have different uh, moods or defilements of you say greed anger delusion coming up in regards to those sense uh, that sense contact those sense impressions uh, then we have to give it a big uh, thrashing <laughs> this one you know, uh, y you have to know for yourself, but if we just talk about monks, uh, you might have heard a teaching that Ajahn Chah said of uh, a monk who knows about food, uh, knows about the practice. <clears throat> and so Lumpo Anan, he'd give teachings on this quite regularly to, to monks. Um, if you know he might say, if you know you like something, then just take a little bit of that. And the one that you don't like, the food, take a lot of that one. He said, this is going against the mind that wants to maybe eat crops like that. But he may say that if before you get to the food line and you have that liking arise, you're already thinking of what you're going to have, then don't have that one. So in a way, to train the mind uh, to not go towards liking and not go towards disliking. Or for some monks, then they may train themselves in the way that they give themselves a bit of a punishment. If I don't wake up when the first alarm goes off, then I'm just going to eat plain rice. Hmm? Something like that. And then they try, see how long, how many days the, the mind wants to sleep in, you know, and you probably after a little bit of, of uh, maybe punishment, then uh, it won't be long, you'll wake up maybe even before the alarm, things like that, then is a way that we have to train in the monastery, you know, we're training, you know, in mindfulness in whatever we're doing, but there are times the mind does get quite uh, stubborn or can get attached and uh, we need to be a bit more what's the word, fierce, or even where, uh, you know, there was one Skype or Friday session where uh, Ajahnar Nan was te teaching about that when one of the lay people asked uh, Venerable Ajahn Chah, how do you teach? He said, oh, uh, you teach samatha or you teach vipassana, you know, tranquility or insight. He said, oh, here we teach torture. Mm. And maybe... That's uh, the way that Ajahn Chah taught to help 
uh, monks to bring up patient endurance, their, their forbearance, and to watch their own mind and to see and to keep it in uh, between liking and disliking. <coughs> uh, and so there was also once when I remember we were, we were going on a, a tudong, and this tudong is, just means wandering sometimes, or actually if you want to be specifically, it means the ascetic austere practices, but here generally refer to Tudong as a, a wandering or staying in the forest. Uh, and so we, Venerable Ajahn Anand, had taken a big group of monks out to a secluded place to practice where we, he'd, we'd go for more than a week and we'd put up our umbrella mosquito nets and, and practice there uh, in the forest. So back then he was taking uh, monks to, to do this. But at the end of this, uh, sorry, at, at the end of this, uh, you could say retreat, then had the idea that oh, it'd be a good idea if I uh, got the, uh, if I walk back to Wat Mapchan, which is about a hundred k's or so, uh, and then uh, I asked Mpoanana, oh, you know, I want to walk back, and he said, oh, that's a great idea, and then he he got this senior monk. Uh, who kind of didn't want to walk back. He's probably already ready to get in the car. He said, okay, you go and uh, you lead this, this uh, tudong. And so he, he led it and we were walking back. Uh, and I think it was the one day we were meant to get to uh, Gengwai, which is a, a branch monastery of, of Wat Mapchan. And we had gotten completely lost. And it was already 11 p.m. where... Uh, we, we, were, we should have been at the monastery already. And so one of the, the senior monks, he had a phone, and uh, he, he didn't know where to go, but he contacted uh, Lumpur Anan, and he said, uh, Lumpur Anan said, all right, we'll get the, the car to pick you up and take you to the monastery. You know, just tell me where you are. But personally, I made the determination that I'm not going to get in the car. I'm definitely going to walk back uh, and so that was one of my own determinations. No one else had made that. Uh, but he, uh, sent, <laughs> he sent the car already. And I was like, I'm not getting on that. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to put up my umbrella mosquito net here. And then, and <laughs> I guess you could say Lumpur had a skillful way, as in he said, uh, to talk, tell that senior monk to share the story with me of when... Uh, Lungta Mahabua himself had made a determination to eat only everything from the bowl. So whatever he got on arms round, that's all he would eat. If he, if he entered the monastery, he wouldn't take anything more. And so after that, there's one day that Lumpur Man opened up uh, Lungta Mahabua's bowl and put in some food there. Or maybe it just got a little or something. And then Lungta Mahabua was sitting there and I guess looked up to Mpuman uh, and just accepted that if he was his teacher giving it, then he had to accept it. Uh, and so sharing this story with me, and you know, I had to, how to say, let go of that uh, determination or basically attachment to this, um, even though it's so hot and 
inwardly, uh, having to practice in that way. So you could say even that's something that is uh, hitting, you could say, the, the ox that's indulging in one another side, another type. Maybe it's not liking, but it's disliking aversion, and so having to let that go. So these were maybe skillful ways that the teacher was teaching, teaching us to, to let go and to develop this mindfulness in, in every situation or experience. Uh, so I guess the, the last type of mindfulness that we develop is um, maybe, you know, there's pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and there's also this neutral feeling. So you can say that when we're meditating, we kind of uh, becoming more aware of this neutral feeling, whether of the breath, uh, our meditation object. And for new people, new meditators, this can be quite difficult. You can see that they tend to delight in a lot of things going on in their mind. You know, they like pleasure, they like, uh, or displeasure even, and that something going on is what's been happening all through their lives. And so just to become more aware of this neutral feeling, becoming more interested in it, developing more awareness with it is part of the practice as well. Uh, and this is something that we can train in and that you are training in. Um, and so uh, an example of this is that monk that I said that he was practicing or was told to keep that nesachik staying up all night practice for two years. <clears throat> he did finish after two years. Uh, after the two years, uh, he was determined and he, he could keep doing it, maybe even longer than two years. Uh, but apparently, Venerable Ajahnanan told him to come over and uh, said, all right, that's enough of that Nessa Chik practice you've been doing. Uh, now you can learn Pali. And Pali is, uh, you know, it's not that common maybe for monks to learn that in the forest tradition. And it's something that requires a lot of memory. Um, you know, maybe different from Samadhi practice, you could say. Um, and so you can see how one could get quite bored of doing that, learning that. There's a lot of books to go through. Um, so this monk, he accepted what the teacher gave him and decided to, to do it. And so he had to learn all this Pali, something completely new. Maybe for 20 years he'd have never really studied in that way. And he's someone who liked peace, seclusion, you know, samadhi. Uh, but he told me that uh, he 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 accepted that he had to do it. And when he decided to do it, then he would um, make himself interested in it, develop that interest in it. And he said he could do that. And uh, that kept him going. He just took it as like his kamatana, his meditation object, <coughs> learning that uh, Pali. Uh, 
And even today, he has uh, completed the third level, which is one where they give you a new title, call you a great maha, a great one. Uh, and so it shows you how hard it is to actually do that. Many fail, and he did it all in the first go. Uh, but he said that you can bring up interest even in something you, uh, you find very boring or you don't really want to do. Uh, and so this is a skill that we can learn as well. We're developing as well, finding interest in our meditation, in the task or the kamatana, which means our basis of work. Not all work maybe is interesting at first, but we develop interest in it. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess he, he, uh, he could do it. And so he as well said that later on that he found even the benefits coming from that was that when he listened to the Dhamma talks that Lumpur Anand would give later on, that he could internalize those talks even more now because he knew the Pali and knew that oh, what Lumpur's teaching is very direct and in line with the theory as well. Before he only knew the, the theory, oh sorry, the practice he knew about all the practice, been here many years, understood uh, the teachings, but to understand the theory or come back to learn the theory and then put it and combine it together and see, oh, the practice is in line with the theory as well, or the, even the results are in line with the theory as well. Getting a lot more inspiration and faith and joy even in, in the practice and giving him more in, uh, joy to keep going as well. So there are the benefits, you could say, from maybe the teacher pulling you to uh, do something you'd, you'd never do, you never think of doing. Uh, and so the fourth spiritual faculty then is samadhi, and this is something that we're developing. We can see from the past few talks that Paul has given that he's putting a bit of emphasis on developing contemplation so we're trying to develop this contemplation, you know, contemplating the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, contemplating on our uh, generosity, our good acts, contemplating on our sila, contemplating on death. So all these contemplations, I think in one talk he said that oh, these days people's minds are a lot more maybe active. They need to use more contemplations in order just to get a certain level of peace. Uh, and so maybe that's why he's uh, recommending and teaching these these methods. Um, and samadhi is kind of like uh, in one place, uh, Venerable Ajahn Chah compared it to uh, if you have a, a child, a kid, and he's crying, so what do you do? Well, how, how do you make it stop crying? And so he said then you give it a, something to play with, like a balloon, uh, something that it can engross itself in. And when it gets engrossed, then it stops crying. Why? Because it's engrossed in that object. And so samadhi practice is a bit like that, you know, giving it the right uh, object or getting the mind to have interest in that object. You can say maybe in the beginning, the, the mind is like a crying child, always wanting attention, pulling you here and there. Uh, 
so we have to give it something skillful uh, to make it calm down, be peaceful. Uh, and so Ampoanan's giving many different meditation objects, which I think you're free to, to use, whichever one is good for you. Sometimes you'll say it's like, do you know which food you like? If you know which food you like, then you eat that food, which he means that the one that gives you uh, fullness or makes you, uh, brings up joy easily, uh, brings up peace easily, then you should use that, that object. Or there's nothing wrong with using a few objects as well. For some even that have a lot of thinking, then he may suggest something different. You know, for one who was thinking a lot, he'd suggested then to, oh, okay, now you do itipiso, just the Buddha Nusati, 108 times, chanted uh, 10 times a day. And then he gave this uh, young monk a counter. So we had to go count every time he, he was chanting itipiso. And in a way, that helped him to, to calm down his mind in the beginning. So he can use different methods like that. Chanting as well can help. And I think the probably most important thing that Lumpo gives us is a lot of encouragement in this samadhi. He'd say that you know the big, the ending isn't that isn't that difficult, um, but the just the beginning bit is a bit difficult. Uh, the beginning bit is in getting the mind to to be peaceful, to you know to stay with the the object, or just getting that basis where you have some joy and rapture coming up, and that gives you more strength to practice, or maybe the level of insight that comes up may be just very small, but that can give you great results. But the beginning bit, getting the mind there, maybe the the difficult bit, and so he's constantly giving us encouragement. You know, keep practicing. You know, don't you'll get there. Even kanika samadhi, temporary samadhi, is good. Uh, in a way, we're developing this samadhi so that the mind, which you can say, is like that ox that loves crops. It's like you're giving it something else to be interested in. If it's distracted by something else, then it won't go and eat the crops, which is like it's the sensual pleasures and contact and all that of the world. It tends to be absorbed in something, uh, sort of a higher, more refined happiness. And so getting the mind to, to, to experience that or to, to know that, then we may have a, our own effort to practice. You know, to, maybe then the teacher doesn't need to prod us so much. We'll, we'll prod ourselves and we'll, you know, we'll go quickly ourselves. Uh, so that encouragement, I think, is, is very important as well. And I'm sure you've, those who have joined here, then, you know, Paul's always giving us encouragement, saying you can do it, you can see the Dhamma, you know, may you see the Dhamma in this life, and all this is helpful, even if we may think, oh, can we really do it? But, you know, when the, the teacher, the Krubhajan says so, then we should uh, give it our best, give it a go, give it a shot. Uh, and so, maybe lastly, then, the teacher giving wisdom. This is something that Lumpur uh, nuns giving very frequently, could say. Uh, maybe we have the formal talks where he's giving a lot of teachings. I think had a look on one of the YouTube 
uh, Dhamma, Ajahnanan Dhamma channels, and I think it's like a thousand. So there's a lot of Dhamma on there for, <laughs> for us. Uh, and so those formal teachings can be very good. Um, Lumpur himself will share the time that he listened to that Dhamma talk of uh, Venerable Ajahn Chah and his mind getting peaceful and understanding into uh, conventions and liberation. And that was from a recorded Dhamma talk, right? So, and that was him as a lay person. And so, you know, there's these talks there. You may get a lot of wisdom from that or even just the mind becoming very peaceful or using it as part of your practice. That's also good. Uh, but there's also maybe the informal talks as well that uh, he's also very, you could say, skilled at as well. Sometimes just a few little teachings here and there. Uh, remember once there, we were, there was myself and another attendant. He's from Australia as well, and we were. Someone had offered a sheepskin rug, uh, maybe or seat, and we started to get into a bit of a debate or argument about whether this was actually the real skin of the sheep or not. So I was like, it can't be the skin of the sheep. There's no, no way. And he's like, for sure it is. You know, he grew up on a farm and all this, so he knows. But going back and forth, and the teacher's right there, you know, Lumpur Anand's there. And then go back and forth like this, and he just says, Mei Tiang means it's impermanent. And then both of us sort of just looked at each other and the debate ended right there because I guess that's the answer. <laughs> it's impermanent, that's true. That's all you need to see it as. Whoever's right is maybe you're right but not correct. You're correct but you're not right kind of thing. So there'll be definitely a lot of those occasions where he's uh, giving small teachings. I think on one of the books, the author or whoever translated uh, gives a simile of Lumpur trying to throw these balls, small little balls to you and a little kid and you know trying to get you to catch it and originally, initially you can't catch it, you keep missing them <laughs> but maybe later you can catch one or two kind of thing. Uh, so he had many ways like that. It was also once where a monk showed one, what he would use for contemplation. He used a, a skull from a cremation, a picture of it, obviously. Uh, showed this to Mpohanan and then showed him, oh, this is what I use for contemplation. And he said, oh, oh that's good. If, uh, if the monks are uh, arguing, then just make sure you show them this picture. And then that's all he said, which means that then to get them come back to reflect on death, basically, and then uh, that's the, the Dhamma teaching for them. Maybe when we get caught up in all these, our views and opinions and sense of self, then these uh, debates and arguments and things just never stop. But maybe they can stop with the Dhamma, with coming back to impermanence, no? dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, not self. <clears throat> one of them who ordained newly here as well. He said that he was a school counsellor for 10 years and he said that, oh, you know, they just keep coming back with problems and then to the point where he felt like 
unless they have the Dhamma, they're just never going to solve the problems. And so maybe he got sick of it and decided to ordain. So there's uh, <laughs> things like that as well. I guess one, one, they said before that I was attending on, on Lumpo Anand for many years. It was from my first Vasa Pansa all the way till almost pretty much my 10th, where I was attending on uh, Lumpo Anand. And many times it'd be, there was many days where it was like even all day, you know, coming from before dawn, setting up everything for arms around, going arms around, having the meal, after the meal, coming back, and there's the uh, maybe guests coming and other duties, maybe for monks, uh, monastery projects going on. In the afternoon, there'll be more guests coming, different things going on, evening, the chanting, meditation, uh, and afterwards as well. Most many times, uh, offering a massage and sort of looking after him until he rests at night. And so this would be some days it was all quite, how to say, quite a lot. But uh, there was a lot of, you could say, teachings I got from that as well. But the, the maybe the biggest one or the biggest uh, thing I got from it was just seeing, like it says that, if you want to know someone, you have to see them over a long period of time and with sharp eyes, looking at them very clearly. Uh, and so I feel like I had that. And you know, no matter how much things were going on, it really felt like it was, you know, he was always present in that thing that he was doing. And from the next one to the next one, it could always put down whatever it was from that past moment experience and then fully go to the next one, which I think is a skill that you know, everyone kind of wants to have. But this comes back to the teaching that uh, Lumpur will give of uh, knowing in time the mind states or the aramana, the mental objects, the sense objects, as they arise. And that's like in Thai, Lu Tao Tan Arom. That one is where the greed, hate, anger, delusion just doesn't come up. It just arises and ceases. Uh, the simile that the Buddha gave is one like uh, if you make a mark on a rock and then the mark obviously stays there for a very long time. But if you make a mark on the water, then it'll, uh, sorry, on the sand, then it'll stay for a short time until it disappears. And that's compared to like anger coming up and staying for a long time. And the second is anger coming up and then coming up just for a short time. But the third type is the stick that's been uh, making a mark in the water, which as it arises, it ceases instantly. And that's the type of state that is uh, in that sutta, it says it's like uh, this, this uh, monk can be criticized, harsh words towards them, and they can uh, greet, you can say, talk to them in a, in a pleasant mood, in a, in a normal mood, without having that 
carrying that whatever mind state, you know, that feeling there in the mind. It's kind of like that. And that's what I kind of felt of all the time of it, it was like that. You know, don't think there was once when it felt like it wasn't and things that uh, were done seemed as if they were done according to, you know, to Dhamma, to causes and conditions, even though on the outside maybe, you know, there's different expressions there, but it seemed as if it was kind of using this self to give benefit, as in sometimes, yeah, maybe, you know, Paul has to be the one that's the big teacher, the big Ajahn. Other times, when the, there's a much more, you know, senior monk, he can be very respectful, etc., and that's very inspiring as well. Uh, you know, other times he can be quite fierce if needed, but other times just quite light-hearted. Remember once he he was inside this Uposada hall, maybe giving a bit of a fierce talk, but then can go right to the uh, the back there on his the the seat at the back, and then just have a very light-hearted, casual talk to bring up the minds of 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 the monks there, and so. It, could use that for benefit. Uh, and so, yeah, that was very inspiring. <laughs> so maybe I've shared a few stories then with you and uh, a few little teachings that uh, I got from my time uh, here. Maybe it can be of inspiration to, to you in your, your practice. Um, 